Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Gospel lesson for today is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. This can be found on page 1055 of your Pew Bible. In today's reading, Nicodemus, a prominent Jewish teacher in Israel, visits Jesus and receives a lesson from him about spiritual rebirth through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A reading from John chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How may a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Last week, we had a great holy week here at church. Wasn't it wonderful? Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. What I love so much about Holy Week is it seems like the whole world stops and focuses for a moment on the right things. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I just find so much unity in that and so much centeredness when we all do that together on Holy Week. I also love the surprise of Holy Week, seeing people you haven't seen in a while or seeing people for the first time. There's always a delight in that. But here we are now the week after Holy Week. And if you're here the week after Holy Week, it means you're ready to go a layer deeper with the implications of the events of Holy Week. We're going to get a little help today from Nicodemus. He too was a surprise, just like we're surprised sometimes in Holy Week. Hey, didn't know that person 
would meet Jesus in this way. Nicodemus was certainly a surprise person to meet Jesus, to experience the gospel. And we're going to learn from Nicodemus how to go a layer deeper about what it means that Jesus lived and died and rose again. We're entering a new sermon series called The Son. And for the next several Sundays, we're going to focus on Jesus, his words and his work. So let's go a layer deeper. I want to look at John chapter 3. Normally at this point in my sermon, I will take us through verse by verse and have us read the words that are on the page. But I'm doing something different today. I want us to kind of humanize Nicodemus a little bit. Because sometimes I I just want to kind of rip on Nicodemus for how ridiculous he's being. I forget that he was a real human being, eager to learn more from Jesus. So instead of going through the verses, I want to show a video. I never do this. (laughs) But I really want to kind of show what, what the interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus might have been like. It's a six minute clip from the show called The Chosen. Some of you have seen The Chosen. It's a modern-day depiction of the disciples' reactions to Jesus. So let's look at this six-minute video today, and then we'll unpack it after we watch this video together. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. It was no help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably? At an exorcism in the Red Quarter? (laughs) If you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe You are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, 
unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? I wonder how Nicodemus processed that conversation for the rest of his life. We don't have to wonder entirely because we know a few things from the Gospel of John about Nicodemus after this conversation he had under the cloak of darkness with him. 
We know, for example, that Nicodemus was there the day that Jesus died. In fact, Nicodemus was more than just there. Look at this with me from John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. This is after Jesus' body had been so brutally beaten that he had died hanging on the cross. John 19, 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, this is our guy, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they, that's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Surprise! Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, had followed Jesus all the way until his death. In fact, Nicodemus was one of the ones who tenderly cared for his lifeless body. Jesus really made an impact on this man. In fact, there's another little data point, another little anecdote halfway between these two stories in John chapter 7, where Nicodemus is apparently still keeping an eye on Jesus, who he had met at night. The other Pharisees are quite upset with Jesus. They want to get rid of him as soon as they possibly can. And it's Nicodemus who steps in and says, let's give him a minute. Let's let him prove if he's from God. Nicodemus may have spared Jesus' life that day, at least for a while. So Nicodemus, in this conversation with Jesus about being born again, was moved to the point of wanting to follow Jesus all the way until the end. And I wonder, after Nicodemus had witnessed his life, his cruel death, and his glorious resurrection... I wonder if Nicodemus' mind raced immediately back to that nighttime conversation. What was it he told me that night? Yes, I must be born again. What does this mean? What does Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with me being born again? I wonder if Nicodemus grappled with that question the rest of his life. I think he probably did, because I also noticed that the Apostle Paul grappled with the same question. What is my own birth, my new birth, my spiritual new life? How does the death and resurrection of Jesus influence my new birth? And the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. He knew that it had to do with baptism. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see this phrase, newness of life? This is, I think, the Apostle Paul's version of saying being born again, a new life, born again, newness of life. And Paul understood how do we get there? How do we get to that new life? It's through baptism. And baptism is a symbolic participation with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Think about it. When you're dunked in the water, you go beneath the threshold of the water. Just like when Jesus was buried into the tomb. 
And when you come out of the waters of baptism, you're symbolically showing that you now live not to yourself, which has died in the waters of baptism, but you now live to Christ. We die with him and we are raised with him. That part of us, that sinful part of us, that ego-driven part of us stays symbolically in the waters of baptism. This is why I often joke on the day of baptism that I got to hold some of you down a little longer under the water because you got more to leave under the water. I only make that joke for, for, for people who can handle it. <laughs> Paul said it this way in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, this is the implication of the gospel, that deeper implication of the gospel I mentioned a moment ago. Yes, Jesus died in our place. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but we also have an invitation to come to the cross and die with him. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Lord, take that part of me, that sinful part of me, that fleshly part of me, and let it stay there on the cross with you. Let it be buried into the tomb so that I can walk in new life. Those things that drive me, those things that govern my life, they lead to death anyway. So let them be crucified. What does this look like? I wanted to share with you even my own personal journey of what this means to be crucified with Christ, to let that part of me die, that part of me that leads to death anyway, so that Christ can come live in me more and more. And the best way I can think about describing this in my own life is with this word. I know you've heard this word before, ego. We all have one. And I've been thinking over the last couple of years just examining, asking the Holy Spirit to show me in what ways am I being motivated and driven by my ego? Usually it's when I'm trying to protect my reputation or when I'm overly offended when somebody has done something against me. That's all ego. Or when I have to try to come out on top of any conversation. Ego, ego, ego. And about that, I say, Lord, let that be crucified with you. That only leads me to isolation and selfishness and loneliness and self-righteousness and self-protection. Lord, let that part of me go to the cross with you. I want to be governed by something new. And you might say, well, if I'm not governed by the things that drive me, like Nicodemus, he was well-born in his first birth. He was well-born and he did a lot with his life that he was given. He was well-educated. He rose to the top of the ranks. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He might have been wondering, if I die to myself, if death precedes new birth, what's going to govern me now? Those things that govern me, my ego, my acumen, my drive, my reputation, those have done pretty well for me in my life. If I have a new birth, well then, what governs me now? This is why Jesus says, think of the wind. Picture the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. This is the Holy Spirit. 
This is the new governor in your life. This is the new driver in your life. When you die to yourself and you live for Christ, you have a new motivator now. The Holy Spirit bears his fruit in your life, tells you where to go and where to stop, when to turn right and when to turn left, who to love, who to bless, who to be generous to. Holy Spirit, come, govern my life, but I have to die to myself first so that you can live through me. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I want to teach you something here that I learned from my predecessor. An important insight about dying to ourselves, being crucified with Christ. Usually when we learn this concept of being crucified with Christ, we say, oh yeah, like I just did. I don't want to live from my ego anymore. I don't want to live by those things that drive me in my whole life. So you say, Lord, I I crucify that on the cross. And we try to put our own selves, that own part of ourselves that leads to destruction. We put it on the cross. But then we quickly realize that we've only got two arms. So God sends difficult people and situations into our lives to nail the other part of us to the cross. This helps me understand difficulty in a new way. When somebody really hard comes against me and what they're really doing is they're attacking my ego, my old self would say, I defend that. And I would rise up and my inner lawyer would defend me. But now I say, Lord, let that die. Let that person come against me because it will expose that I was driven by my ego in the first place. I'm crucified with Christ. So sometimes God sends difficult people and situations into our lives out of his grace so that we can die to our old selves and live for him by the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection power that comes out of the tomb and lives in us. How is this possible? How can we die to ourselves and live for Christ? Well, it's not anything we can accomplish on our own. In fact, it's not something we can achieve. It's something we receive. It's a love gift from God. This is exactly how Jesus describes it in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our second birth, our new birth, when we die to ourselves and live because of Christ's resurrection power and the forgiveness we receive from the cross, that new life, that new birth lasts into eternity. And it is the great love gift. And how do we get it? Well, Jesus says, remember the serpent in the desert. What did the people have to do to get healed from that snake bite? They just had to look at the serpent on the pole. And we, dear brothers and sisters, look upon the cross. Jesus says, whoever believes it, If you believe that he died there in your place, that he took the consequences of your sin, you're beginning to experience that new birth, that being born again, you are dying. You would say, Lord, take that part of me that governs me, that leads to destruction, and let it be crucified with you. And give me that new life. You see, it's a loving, sacrificial gift. Just like our first birth was. How many of you achieved your first birth? Wouldn't it be silly if I said to you, great job that day. You worked really hard for that. No. Your mama 
Your mother would be surprised if I congratulated you for the day of your birth. Your mother sacrificed lovingly so that you could have life in this world. In the same way, when we look at the cross, we realize our new birth, our second birth, we realize we have about as much agency over that new birth as we had over our first. It's a love gift. It's a sacrificial love gift, not from our earthly mother, but from our Savior, Jesus Christ. So who wouldn't want that gift? Who wouldn't want to say, Lord, crucify my flesh, crucify that part of me that only leads to destruction. I want to die with you and let that part be buried in the waters of baptism, and I receive your new life. When you rose out of the tomb, that resurrection power is possible to now govern me like the wind sweeping across the landscape filling our sails. Come, Holy Spirit. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. And live. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.